So we're in our eighth week of this series, our last Sunday of In the Meantime. For eight weeks, we've been trying to answer the question, asking an answer, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? Uh, my parents and my sister are gone. What do, what do I do? I can't do anything about that. Uh, maybe your marriage has ended. Maybe your job has ended. There's something you can't do anything about. What do you do in those times? In week one, we looked at John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was in prison in a dungeon on the edge of the kingdom, and his cousin, Jesus Christ, could have done something about it, but Jesus Christ didn't do anything about it. In fact, the way J the B got out of prison was he was beheaded. He, God rescued him from heaven, didn't rescue him in this lifetime. And what we discovered in that week was never equate God's silence with God's absence. All right. So the first thing we learned is just because God is silent does not mean that he's absent. He's always around. Week two, we talked about Paul, who was the writer of nearly half the New Testament. And Paul told us that he received a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. But he used a word that indicated that this, this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh was a gift, like a Christmas gift. It was a good gift. What was, what was, how did he describe this good gift? It was painful. It was humiliating, debilitating, and permanent. And we learned that we have the option, when we go through pain and suffering, we have the option um, to receive that pain and suffering as a gift with a purpose and a promise. You may not know the purpose yet, but the promise is God told him, he tells you, his grace is enough to get you through any pain. The next week, week three, Paul taught us that, that there was something called the secret of being content. And he used a term and he said it's like the, the, the term in, in that day would have been like being initiated into a secret society. He said, there is a secret to being content. He'd learned that secret of being content and evidently not many people had learned it because there's not very many Christians who are living contented lives. And he said, um, you can learn it. And, and I challenged you at the end of that service to pray this prayer. I can't, he can, he can through me. Week four, we watched the video Fruitcake and Ice Cream, uh, Louis Giglio's sermon. And, and the reason it's fruitcake is because a complete atheist um, had a roommate who was a Christian, a fully devoted follower of Christ, and, and she... Um, Whenever the, the, she called her fruitcake because she was fully devoted follower of Christ. She said, you're a nut, you're a fruitcake. So she wrote about her in her journal. If you haven't seen it, you can look it up on YouTube. Um, it's called fruitcake and ice cream. The reason it's ice cream is because every time fruitcake came in and the atheist was having a difficult time, she'd pull out a carton of ice cream and two of them would sit there and eat it. And we learned this, never underestimate the power of God's grace. Because this girl, this, this girl called fruitcake showed grace. And in a, in a span of a little over two weeks, this atheist becomes a Christ follower because fruitcake showed her grace. So never underestimate God's grace, the power of God's grace when someone is going through a difficult time and you are the one who shows them grace. Um, week five, we saw Jesus' disciples asking him, who, was, who, was, who sinned that this man was born blind, his parents or him? And Jesus said, neither. He said, the reason this man was born blind was so that the works of God... The glory of God could be displayed in him. And, and I talked to you just briefly about Jesus heals the guy, but we didn't spend time on the healing because the miracle wasn't the, the main point of the story. The main point of the story is what you and I do. It's we misunderstand pain and suffering in our lives. They misunderstood it and Jesus said, no, no, there's something great going on here. And so when you focus on what's wrong, you miss what God is making right. And God is making stuff right all the time. Now we said in the beginning it was perfect, everything was good, in the end it'll be perfect again. In the meantime though, God's doing some stuff, you just don't see it. 
Week six, James told us this. This is crazy to me. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was a doubter, who actually was, thought Jesus was crazy. He becomes a Christian after Jesus resurrected from the dead. He said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials and temptations of many kind, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Because what we said was, if you do not let perseverance finish its work, you will be immature, you will be incomplete, you will lack a bunch of things that God wants to give you, so you have to hang on and let, let perseverance finish its work. And we said that, that we're going to believe that God will use this until he chooses to remove it. And then we prayed this prayer, Heavenly Father, I believe you will use this until you remove it. And then we said, grant me the wisdom to see as you see, so that I'll have the strength to do as you say. Last week, we looked at how God uses pain and suffering to create us anew. We looked at the skit guy's um, drama skit, The Chisel, one of my favorite dramas of all times, and and we learned some things from this. Um, We learned that God uses pain and suffering to make us look more like Jesus, to create us into his masterpiece. We learned that there's something, uh, we looked at the the Hall of Fame of Faith, which is from Hebrews chapter 11. We said that that God said about these people who endured through pain, the world was not worthy of them, and I want to be one of those. And we learned that, that through Jesus' death, resur- death and resurrection, we can learn a suffering cycle. We called it a suffering cycle that you can apply to any time of suffering and pain that you ever face. And it goes like this. Tragedy, the worst thing in history was Jesus, an innocent man, died for your sins and for mine. We now call it Good Friday because God turned that tragedy into something good. It wasn't good at the time. And then can you imagine the disciples sitting there from the moment Jesus was arrested, they scattered like cockroaches running from the light. They ran from him, this tragedy. And there was darkness from that moment all the way until Sunday morning. Can you imagine them sitting around on Saturday? It's over. We thought he was the savior of the world, but he's dead. He's gone. It's over. And then Sunday happened triumph happened. Now we said that you don't automatically get triumph. The only way you get triumph in your life, the only way God uses it to bring glory for eternity is if you hold on and persevere and let perseverance finish its work. If you turn and run away, God doesn't guarantee that he's going to do anything with your life. But if you hold on at all cost, God said, I'll do something that will change somebody's destiny. There'll be somebody in heaven because of you. That's a pretty cool deal. Did I skip one? We learned that we need to pursue redeemed suffering. Redeemed suffering is suffering with a purpose. You don't go through anything with, that God doesn't have a purpose for. You have to let him use it. Now, today, I want to talk to you some, about something called the fellowship of suffering. And this is probably, in my opinion, this is the deepest type of suffering you can, the deepest type of fellowship you can have is when you go through suffering. And let me give you a couple of things about that. Number one, there is a natural bond between those who have suffered deeply and similarly. You understand where I'm, where I'm coming from? Let's say, I dropped one of these, but that's all right. Let's say that you go to the ICU, and let's just, just for argument's sake, let's take someone who is a Muslim from Africa. They're in there, and they're suffering through tragedy. Let's take someone who is a Jehovah's Witness from New York, and let's take somebody who is an East Texan. Red neck. Let's put them together in the ICU. If you're going through the same type of suffering, all of a sudden it does not matter what your skin color is, how much money you make or don't make, your education status, your nationality, your religion, whatever denomination you're a part of, it does not matter because you begin to share in suffering. And the way you share is you begin to share your story, you begin to share your story, and pain is this great equalizer. 
when you're in an ICU. So when you've suffered, you can have the fellowship of suffering with somebody else going through something similar. Number two, those who have suffered are uniquely qualified to comfort others who are suffering. As a pastor, I've been in many very difficult situations, either at the funeral home or, or at the ICU, been to the, been to the hospital more times than I care to count. And, and many times you do not have anything to say. You don't know what to say. And people are just sitting there crying and we're just in shock. But let me tell you what happens. When somebody walks in the room, whether it's at the ICU, whether it's at a funeral home, whatever, when somebody walks in the room who has been there and begins to speak to someone who is there, something supernatural invades that moment. It is not of this world. It comes from God. And they have, they have validity because they've been there, because they've survived. And it changes the dynamic when they walk in the room. And, and let me just say this, you do not get to that point without learning this lesson. You have to learn to quit asking why and begin to ask how. You may not get the why, and this Job did not get the why. Job suffered more than we ever will. Didn't get the why. But he said, how can I use this for God's glory? If you will ask that question, God will make sure from time to time you are put in contact with somebody who needs what you have to offer. Number three, comfort for, from those who have been comforted, that's a big deal, is life-giving to those who are suffering. You have to have been comforted. When you've been comforted, then you give life to someone who thinks there is no life left. You breathe life into them. But here's something else. This is a bonus. Number four, comforting is life-giving to the comforter. You think you're going to help the other person, and you are. It's life. You breathe life into them because you say, I made it through. Here's what I did to hang on. Let me walk with you through this. And you pour out your life into that other person, and it is life-giving to the person who's sucking wind. But God designed us in such a way when you pour out your life, he pours into you because he says, there's one I can trust. I will give you more so that you can pour your life out to someone else. If, if you ever get to witness this, this connection, this fellowship of suffering, you'll begin to understand the purpose of suffering in this world. God designed this world to run on comfort and you'll begin to understand it whenever you witness this. I'm gonna show you something as we finish this series from 2 Corinthians. Um, this was Paul's second letter. The reason it's called 2 Corinthians is because we have two letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. First one that we have is called 1 Corinthians. There's actually one we don't have and God decided we didn't need it for some reason. So we have the, the second one we have we call 2 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians, if you remember anything. Uh, Corinthians. <clears throat> I just thought I'd mention that. I want you to see what Paul says in verse three. 2 Corinthians 1, verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. He's the daddy who hurts with. Compassion means to hurt with. He said he is the Father who hurts with and the God of all comfort. He's the source of comfort. Now, this is really interesting to me because Paul, remember Paul hated Christians, tried to kill them, tried to wipe them off the face of the planet before he came, became a Christian. Paul was the most religious rule follower on the planet. He gives us his, his, um, his resume, and he is the most religious person. But the, being a religious person didn't make him grace-filled. It didn't make him kind. It didn't make him compassionate. It didn't make him a comforter. In fact, it made him judge people. He was proud and arrogant and nobody wanted to be around Paul. But when he became a Christ follower, 
All of a sudden, he starts talking about relationships and not rules. And he said, let me tell you something about my father. He is the father who hurts with, and he's the source of all comfort. This is radical. The reason this is so radical is because 12 chapters later, in this same 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us about the thorn in the flesh that I mentioned to you earlier. And let me just remind you about the thorn in the flesh. It was painful, it was humiliating, it was debilitating, it was permanent. And Paul said, the God who gave me, who allowed me to go through that is the daddy who hurts with and he's the source of all comfort. That's remarkable to me. Now some of you are gonna go, hang on. Didn't Paul pray and ask God to get rid of that stuff? Three times he prayed. The Bible says he begged God, God, please, on his face before God. God said, no, my grace is enough. Now, some of you are going through something right now, and you're saying, time out, time out, time out. Paul is admitting what, what I'm thinking. Paul is saying there is a good God who allows pain and suffering. The number one question I get is, how can a good God allow pain and suffering in this world? And he's not going to necessarily tell you why, but he's going to say, I'm, I'm going to take you through it. Because if you're thinking, if there is a God who hurts with, and if there is a God that's the source of all comfort, shouldn't he do something about my life? And he said, I did. Look at Christmas and look at the cross. We were never told to remember Jesus' birth, we were told to remember his death because the God of heaven stepped out of heaven and endured humiliation so that you and I might be adopted into his family. When we talk about comfort, you need to understand this. We're not talking about um, fluffy satin sheets and fluffy robes and slippers that you get at a spa. We're not even talking about what we do to our kids when our kids stub their toes or they fall down or whatever, and we, we hold them and go, oh, let me kiss it. When I was a kid and my mom used to kiss my boo-boos, I thought, that didn't help at all. <laughs> you crazy lady. You want me to kiss it? No, make it go away. And we hold our kids. We're not talking about there, there, little one, and pat on the head, pat on the back. Biblical comfort is power that enables someone to keep going. See the difference? It's not sympathy, it's power. When you wrestle with this, this idea of a good God who allows pain and suffering, remember that every man and woman in the New Testament understood this tension of a good God and pain and suffering better than we do, and they held on and they believed in God anyway. That means there is a way through your pain. They've already done it. There is a way forward. Look what it says. The God of comfort compassion, who comforts us in all our troubles. How many of you pray when you're in trouble, God, comfort me? No, you pray, God, get me out of this. You don't pray for comfort. I want out. I don't want to go through. I want out. Please make it go away. And the Bible tells us that when God doesn't make it go away, he pours his comfort into you, and then he walks with you through the pain. Is that a big deal? Yes, because of the fellowship of suffering. You will not become a fully devoted follower of Christ until you have suffered and gone into fellowship of suffering with Jesus Christ. It will change you and it will change the course of history. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that, all right, here's a purpose statement. 
So that what? So that we will be comforted? Wrong. So that we, next one. So we'll be happy? No. So we'll be rich? We don't teach that here. So we'll be better? So that we will get out of this? No, 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 no. God comforts you so that you can do something. All of those things are focusing on you. God comforts you so that you can do something. Who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Don't comfort me, God. Rescue me, save me, deliver me. God, why can't you? It is so simple. I can see what needs to be done. Why can't you see it the way I see it, God? And God says, if you could see it the way I see it, we go back to that prayer. God, help me to see as you see so I can do as you say so that the world can be changed. Paul is telling us that there are some times of suffering God will not deliver you from, but he will deliver you through. He won't deliver you from, he will deliver you through. So write this down. This is the purpose. God comforts us to comfort others. Why does God comfort us? Help me out. We're going to keep going until everybody plays. Why does God comfort us? One more time. I want you to say it like you mean it. Why does God comfort us? Thank you. Just do that the first time. Verse five. For just as we shared abundantly, not a little bit, abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our, our comfort abounds through Christ. Everything you have suffered, Jesus has suffered. Let me show you. Jesus has suffered. Next slide. He understands abandonment. I told you last week he quoted Psalm 22, not Psalm 23, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Another translation of the word forsaken is abandoned. God, why have you abandoned me? Had God really abandoned him? No, but when you're hanging on a cross, you've been beaten and everybody else has abandoned you, it feels like God has abandoned you. Jesus understands betrayal. You remember his family thought he was crazy? They tried to come and get him. Let's take him, let's put him somewhere so he's quit embarrassing us and himself. Every one of his followers scattered like cockroaches whenever he was arrested. He was betrayed. And, and you remember he, he predicted this. He said, he said, every one of you will fall away on account of me. Peter, oh, no, no, no. If all fall away, I will not fall away on account of you. But Peter's not the only one who said that. In Mark 14, it tells us that everyone else said the same thing. Peter's like, I will not fall away. And everybody's like, we won't fall away either. What happens? Boom, they're gone. Where are they? I don't know. They're in hiding because Jesus isn't what they thought he was going to be. Our capacity to comfort, listen to this, is determined by two things, how much you've suffered and how much you've been comforted. See, I don't want people, when I'm, next time I'm in the hospital, I, want, I don't want people to come comfort me who've just suffered because there are bitter, angry people who've suffered I don't want what you got to offer. Please don't come see me if that's you. But if you've been comforted by God, by all means, come share with me what God has given you. You see the difference? Your capacity to comfort is determined by how much you've suffered and how much you've been comforted. And I hear all the time, but you don't understand. You haven't suffered what I'm suffering. And when somebody says, yes, I have. 
it changes the dynamic. If you've been comforted, if you are willing, God's gonna take you to some places where you can pour out your life and share the comfort of God with others. It is for those moments that God has brought you through your pain and suffering. Verse six, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Paul is saying that what I've come through is, is, was never intended for me. So he's saying I was comforted, but the comfort God gave me was not intended for me. The comfort that God gave Paul was intended for you. The comfort God gives me, Doug, isn't intended for you. The, the comfort God gives John is intended to help me or to somebody else who needs help. Paul is saying that I'm supposed to pour out my life. Jesus Christ said, I pour out my life as an offering for others. If you're a follower of Jesus, that means you are supposed to pour out your life as an offering for others. If God gives you money, it's to share with others. If God gives you grace, it's to share with others. If God gives you comfort, it's because he wants you to comfort somebody else. He never gives you a blessing that's just for you. He always gives you something that he wants you to pass on. And when he finds somebody who will pass it on, he'll make sure they are filled with it. Verse seven. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We share. And when somebody who has been there walks in and says to me, hey, I know how you feel. Doesn't that change the dynamic when you're hurting? When somebody understands? And even though it may not change your circumstances, it feels like they're helping you carry the weight. They are bearing your burden with you and it makes that burden a little bit lighter. So let me read you verses three and four without stopping now that we've kind of broken it down. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received from God. So what do you do in the meantime when you're stuck? You comfort those who need it, comfort those who are suffering with the comfort you have received. Takes your eyes off of you. Put your eyes on God and before you know it, you're filled up and you're like, who else can I help? Several weeks ago, I interviewed Brandy Lovelady. And, and I knew a lot about Brandy. I knew her the first time she came to our church and then some stuff happened in her life. She walked away and I interviewed her on stage and I've asked permission to share this. But I did not know when Brandy walked back. I remember the day she walked in the door back here. I remember when she came in and I remember the reception she got. She'd been away for a couple of years. I didn't know that she had, had turned her back. I knew she turned her back on God, but I didn't know what all was going on. There were, there were drugs involved and alcohol and, and, and there was an instance where she was raped and beaten and taken out in the woods and left for dead. And Brandy walked back in here scared to death what she was gonna receive from religious people. And she'll tell you that when she came back, people poured into her. Now, Brandy not only is, is involved in our Celebrate Recovery, she started the landing for teenagers who are hurting because she didn't want anybody to have to go through something alone. She wants to pour out her life to comfort teenagers. She, they're just finishing up Shelter from the Storm, which is um, survivors of sexual abuse, where she's been pouring into ladies. It's actually the second time she's gone through this and led ladies through, and she poured value into those ladies. And so I'm grateful to God that, that Brandy doesn't want to just receive comfort from God. Brandy wants to be a, a conduit that sends the comfort of God that he's given her to other people. Michael Bratz, um, I, showed his, uh, I showed his testimony on video a while back and, and Michael 
leads our men celebrate recovery on Monday nights, but he's also here with the landing. And Michael has been um, sober now for 15 years. And, and so if you struggle with alcohol and you need somebody to pour value into you, I'm going to point you to Michael Bratz because not only has he been comforted, not only has he been healed, he is one who is actively pouring out the comfort of God to others who struggle with similar situations. I shared with you about Hannah and many of you know what happened with Hannah. She went through depressing times and, and she shared with me, you know, she was walking in darkness. You don't see that in Hannah anymore. And, and there was even a time she was at youth camp at, at Pine Cove and she shared her story and there was this girl that was prickly. I met her once and I knew there was, she didn't want to be there. Hannah shared her story. She was able to lead that, that girl to Christ. I wouldn't wish what Hannah went through on anyone. But if it took that so that someone could come into the kingdom of God, God will take that swap anytime. She is healed, and, and now Hannah is pouring out her life through dance. She did this video, and, and she's pouring out her life to anybody who needs it. That's why God comforted her. Um, Jeff and Teresa. Jeff and Teresa are remarried. They each had a spouse who left them. They were, they were Christ followers, and their spouses left them, and when they decided to date again, each of them, they were different places, they decided they wanted to date only someone who had stayed, not the person who left in a marriage, because they said, we want the stubborn one. And so, it's hilarious. I was in Celebrate Recovery listening to Jeff's dating stories, and that is some of the funniest stuff you will ever hear, and we're praising God that he brought Teresa into his life. Um, yes, yes, amen, thank you, Jesus. Um, but they're the ones who started Celebrate Recovery in our old building over 10 years ago. Because they said, not only are we gonna reach out to people who are struggling with drugs and alcohol, but, but we know what it feels like to have someone leave. And so they've been pouring their lives into people for over 10 years at New Life. Many of you do not know, most of you do not know, my wife was ruthlessly bullied when she was in high school. To this day, she has not gone back to any high school um, Reunion, anything. She, she hated high school. Before there was a movie, Mean Girls, there were three girls who were worse than anything you've seen in that movie to my wife. They used to write her notes. Um, you should watch out. We're going we're gonna to destroy that seemingly beautiful face. They used to key her truck. She had a little Mazda truck, and they used to key her truck. They used to, when she, she, was, she was most beautiful, she was most popular, she was homecoming queen, and they used to write notes on their homecoming, and they would call her names that today would, would get you in a lot of trouble if you were to write that on somebody's car, and it could be proven. Um, they, uh, she kept these notes because these, these girls were ruthless to her. And one time that we, they found out that they were supposed to pour sugar into her uh, gas tank so they could ruin her truck. And they, they got word of it. And it's kind of funny. Her dad hid in the bed of the truck and scared him away. You know, I would love to be that dude. Um, <laughs> I'm God's wrath. Uh, you wouldn't know today that my wife was bullied by girls who... who who were not pretty on the inside. Matt dates my daughter, Rachel. And I remember him telling me the story of his parents, Willard and Susan. They have three biological children that are their oldest, and then they've adopted seven children. Matt and his brothers are some of those seven. 
And I love hearing, he doesn't even know this, I love hearing stories of, of his adoption and I love hearing stories of how he relates to his adopted parents because it is such a picture of what Jesus Christ does with us. He chooses us to be members of his family. Matt was chosen to be a member of the Trim family. And, and when he talks about adoption and when he talks about maybe adopting later in life, I, I just think, oh God, you, you have poured out comfort into Matt into his parents, into his siblings, so that they can turn around and, and pour comfort into someone else. Casey and Sherry, I remember the first time they came to my small group at my house, and, and first night, first night, Sherry starts telling about things that have happened in their life from abuse and from them, them separating and actually filing for divorce and going and standing before a, a judge um, to, to be divorced. And the judge said, I'm not divorcing you. You need to go work this out. To today, they are, they are the, actually the ones who, who head up our marriage ministry in our church from brokenness, divorce, I don't want to have anything to do with you, to now they pour value into people who are hurting. Do you see the grace of God? He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we might comfort someone else. We believe in a good God who sometimes allows non-compassionate things to happen and we still believe. You see, when bad stuff happens, we're tempted to believe a few things. We've been talking about this. This is what we started with. We're tempted to believe I'm the only one who's going through this. And I was talking to Caleb yesterday and I shared this with him. I said, son, the only people who think they're the only ones going through a problem are folks who have isolated themselves from the family of God. Because when you come to a small group or you get involved with somebody and you start to hear, you'll soon find out every one of us has issues. Every one of us, we sh there are thousands, millions of us who've gone through the same thing. Satan wants you isolated so you think you're the only one because then he can destroy you. But when you come and you start, I'm not the only one. He was sharing with me about this young lady and, and she found out she wasn't the only one and it gave her enough energy to make it through the next day. I'll never be happy again. Satan wants you to believe that. Nothing good can come from this. There's no reason to continue living. But when God comforts you, he turns all of that into this. I'm one of many. I can be happy again when God uses me. Something can't, good can come from this because God comforts me so that I can comfort somebody else. There is always, always, always a reason to continue living because you do not know what God is doing and you do not know whose story you can impact for all of eternity if you'll just hang on. So I'll read you one more verse. Being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not done yet. So we're gonna finish like this today. I have a bunch of thimbles up here. I've got more, I'm gonna put them up here because this is kind of the symbol. <laughs> I can't stand rap when they just symbol, thimble, tremble. Anyway, I have thimbles up here that are a symbol of your life. And I want to challenge you to, to I'm going to play a song for you and you, you can go, you can, you can leave. You're, this is actually the dismissal song. But if you want to pray, there's people who came up here and prayed after the first service. I want to challenge you to come get a thimble and I want to challenge you to post this on your Facebook or Snapchat, Instagram, whatever gram you use. I want you to post it on there and I want you to ask God what he wants you to say about this because I'm praying that God's going to start some spiritual conversations through your post 
you post about a lot of stuff. I, I know what I'm going to post. I've got my, in my mind, I'm, I know what I'm going to post, and I'm praying that God will start some spiritual conversations as we, as we just use this. And can you imagine, you know, if there's a couple hundred of us that post this, going, what is going on? What's that weird church doing now? And you get to share about our, our, our life is a mist. We're here just a short amount of time. And God wants us to pour our lives out as an offering for someone else. Take the challenge. Take a thimble, pray about what you're supposed to put on your, your status. And let's pray that God will, will do something that we wouldn't even believe. Yesterday, we thought we were hanging Christmas lights. We got a parking lot. Can you imagine what God will do if you'll, you'll say, here is my life. Pour it out whenever, wherever, on whomever you wish. So I'm going to play this song. It's uh, Christian Stanfield's great song. It's called The Lord Our God. We have baskets at the back for your, your offering, for your registration cards. Write something on there you want me to pray about or something that God has taught you in this series. Write that on there. We have the bagel basket, and because of the bagel basket, we were able to pay cash for a new parking lot we didn't even know we are getting. You know what to do with those. In here, I just want you to come and get one, pray, come get one, leave, whatever you need to do. But as we, as we listen to this song, this is dismissal. So if you need to go get kids and go, go on. Um, but if you want to stay in here a while, stay in here a while. So when you're ready, you come get a thimble and pray about what God wants you to use, how he wants you to use that. Go ahead. Go ahead.